0: Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 109, Great Unknowns. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and let us come to the Word of God. I want to introduce you to two persons that some of you might know of but I would be pretty certain that a great number have never met these two people and yet they stand as some of the most important people in the scripture. Um, It is possible, very possible, that apart from this couple much of the New Testament would not have been written. Okay, it's in Romans chapter 16, and probably that's the reason very few people know about this couple, because uh, Romans 16 is Paul signing off. He has written the letter to the Romans, and now in chapter 16 he just signs off saying, remember me to this one, remember me to that one. And down there in verse seven, Romans sixteen seven, it says, "Greet or what? Remember me to say hello to Andronicus and Junia." And my translation here has my countrymen. That is not um, the the word. In a better translation, would be my kinsman or my relatives, and in actual fact, uh, it's a consensus of many that the word means cousins. And so Paul is addressing, certainly members of his own family, that's for sure, and it's probably the word cousin or cousins. Andronicus and Junior, my cousins... And my fellow prisoners, we've been in jail together, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, that's it. That's all we know about this couple, at least within the Scripture. And I just want to take it line by line. I want to introduce you to them, and let's see what the Holy Spirit will say to you from the lives of this couple. Two persons, and at this point in time, they are sitting in the congregation in Rome when this letter came from Paul and was read out. And as they're sitting there in the congregation, and the person reading the letter says, and he says, "'Hi to you, Andronicus and Junia,' because there it is, one verse in the entire Scripture." that deals with this couple. Andronicus, uh, the name is a a Jewish name, uh, not so much used inside of Israel, but as the Jews were scattered, this is one of the names that they used. And so we know uh, certainly, well, of course, if he's a relative of Paul, he's got to be Jewish. Um, And we know it's a male name. Junia, and uh, this this um, becomes interesting because it's a female name uh, and would today probably be translated as Julia. And it was very much uh, the same as Paul because Paul, if you remember, his Hebrew Jewish name was Saul but because his father had received Roman citizenship and that was given, passed on to Saul, it's the same here. It's a Roman name, but of a Jewish woman. And so here they are, a man and a woman, Andronicus and I'll say Julia. And they are related to Paul. I want you to think about that. Very few people think about Paul's relatives, Did he have any brothers? Did he have any um, sisters? Uh, Are these his cousins? As I say, there's the question mark there as to what they were, but we do know they were kinfolk. They were his immediate family. And a man and a woman, are we talking about a husband and wife here? as history outside of the Bible talks about them, it would suggest that possibility, Uh, or two cousins who were working together. But certainly what you have here, two persons, male, female, probably husband and wife, who are complementing each other, each fitting together like pieces of a jigsaw in order to... Bring forth the fullest revelation uh, of the love and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Um, remember when it, it, in the first chapter of the Bible it speaks of the first couple, Adam and Eve, and, and he speaks to their Adam and Eve as them, um, in, in sense that that they are one. They they do not stand Eve below Adam. No, it was shoulder to shoulder, face to face, and, and together complementing each other, each contributing what the other couldn't. They become the fullness of what it says. They they were made in the image and the likeness of God. It took the male and the female. to to bring forth the fullness of that image. And and we have that here. Now, it says they were in Christ before me. Uh, I'll get to the fullness of that in a minute, but that tells me that they had been believers for approximately 25 years. Because if they were in Christ before Paul... Now, now, Paul became a Christian in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road. And so th- these were believers before chapter 9 of Acts, which places them as believers even uh, on the day of Pentecost uh, or immediately thereafter. It's interesting, um, the family of Paul came from Uh, an area called Cilicia. That's where Tarsus was, where Paul specifically came from. But the family from Cilicia and it says on the day of Pentecost there were persons from Cilicia who were there the very first believers. I wonder, question marks again, all we know right around Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5 that's when these people, Andronicus and Julia, they came to Christ. They were before Paul came to Christ. Ah, yeah, let that sink in. Now, note how he describes the fact that they're believers. See, today we use expressions which are, okay, um, I mean, I know what you mean. Uh, but we, we say of people, they got saved. And we sometimes have persons among us who address others who, uh, and say, are you saved? Well, actually that's not how believers in the New Testament addressed each other, nor was it their call of the gospel. They called each other as those who were in Christ. That was the, And if you go through the New Testament, you will find that phrase, in Christ, all over almost every page of the letters of Paul. And, and John, in his epistles, picks up the same idea, only he speaks more of being in God and in the love of God. But, but it's this in. Christ, of course, is the Greek word for the Old Testament, Messiah. And so they are saying that a believer is one who is in Christ, in the Messiah. And let me stop just for a minute. That is very basic. If that's what they called each other as believers, persons in Christ, we are talking about sort of Christianity 101. This is very basic. That, that to be a believer is to be in Christ. But I, but I feel I have to stop just a minute uh, and, and address it. Because there are many people that... You see, what we call ourselves and what others call us does tend to define us. You, you follow me? When, when you say, I'm saved then that tends to define you in terms of a rescued person. And so out of that comes the idea in literally millions of believers who think that being a Christian is simply being rescued from some future hell to some future heaven. And so the Christian life becomes waiting to get out of here. And so they talk about the rapture and fly, fly, fly away. Get out of here. And that's their Christianity. And that's why thousands leave the church. Because that's the most boring thing you'd ever think of. Just waiting to die. And, And no. So you see, calling yourself saved, unless you really know what that means... Um, tends to deplete your Christian life if I call myself a person in Christ. Oh dear, now that changes everything. Uh, by, By what I call myself and when I think about you and call you a person in Christ, that changes everything. This is what Jesus was speaking about in the upper room when he said in John 14, 20, he said, in that day, which is the day in which we live, he said, you will know that I am in the Father, and I am in you, and you are in me. In, in, in. He said, we will be inside each other. In fact, the word in here in the original language really means within it means that joining together so you never cease to be you and he never ceases to be he but you are joined together and you are one that's who you are did you know that's what you got yourself into when you believed upon the lord jesus the holy spirit actually truly placed you in Christ, in Him, so that now His history is shared by you. His history becomes your history, but He is in you. And so your history becomes His. That's the mystery. I say that as something you can't finally explain, but it's the mystery of the cross. You see, if if he saved me, then it's something like I'm drowning and somebody jumps in and pulls me out. They do something for me. They do something to me. But to say in Christ, now that's a totally different thing. That means he came into me and he laid hold of me and my history my sin, my everything that's wrong, and my lostness, and He made it His. And so He goes into my death, which is the ultimate of lostness, and He goes into that, and He embraces my sin and cancels it out, And he takes my place before Satan and smashes his power. And then he rises from the dead and my history is joined to his. So that I can say with wonder after over 60 years of being in Christ, I still wonder at it in awe and amazement that I was and am crucified with Christ. My salvation is as sure as His death, I died in Him. And He rose and I rose in Him. My salvation is when I, He, came out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. And I was raised from the dead, and as he ascended, went back home to Father, he took me with him in Christ. He is now my destiny, and he now, through the Holy Spirit, actually lives inside of me, sharing my life today, and I share his life and purpose today. See, that's Christian 101. And it all becomes clearer as we begin to call ourselves by the name that the New Testament believers called themselves. You're a person in Christ. That's who you are. It's not some deeper life. It's not something you strive for. When you opened your eyes as a believer, this is where you found yourself, in Christ. That's the meaning of baptism that you are saying, I was crucified with Christ, I was buried with Christ, I rise with Christ, I ascend with Christ. As a Christian, you are as one with Jesus, who is one with the Father, as a branches in the vine. Jesus said that. I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, come on dare you take scripture at its face value. That I look at a branch in the vine and they're one. You cannot speak of the one without the other. goes on in the letters to say that we are the body of Christ and we, each one of us, it says, are members or cells and organs in that body, as, as my limb is in my body, as, as my heart and my lungs are in my body, so you and I are in Christ. Do you realize the life that we call Malcolm is flowing through every part of this? Every part. Now, there's, not, there's not more life in this hand than in that hand. I'm not more Malcolm in my shoulder than in my kneecap. You say, wherever you touch me, there you find the fullness of my life. And it says, you and I are thus in Christ to be his body. Each one of us joined with him. That's our center. Our center. Or how could I put it? That's our point of integration. That, that's that's who I am, and that's how we know who we are. Y- you know what I mean? You know, pe- people that they're identified by their job, or by, by some are identified by being a housewife, or I- I identified in their children. Well, that that's that's all right, uh, but only up to a point, because unless you know who you are then you cannot be who you are to your job, your children, your wife, your husband. You you have to have a center. Your definition of yourself must be something far more than your children, far more than your husband, your wife, your job, your ministry even. It's got to be much more than that. All that comes out of your center. And at that centre you simply be who you is, who you truly are. A man, a woman in Christ, joined to him. That's your point of integration. It it integrates your entire life and existence. You've got a centre. And it's out of the centre that all of life flows. It says, it's out of that center. The fruit of the Holy Spirit within you is love and joy and peace. They're not tacked on to your behavior. They're not bits of your words. They flow from that center. And As the scripture says, apart from that center, if I do not know who I am, if I haven't found my true life in this union with Jesus, then it says I'm lost. So, Andronicus and Julia, the very first thing that you are introduced to them is that they are persons in Christ as you are, as I am. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Their, Their relationship with God through Jesus actualized by the Holy Spirit is exactly the same as you and I have today but now and these are amazing words and I think you might have picked them up as I read it Paul is writing this he's giving the hello to them he's sitting in the congregation as his letter is written and as he greets them his relatives probably his cousin And he says, my my kinsmen, who were in Christ before me. You know, if I know Paul, and I think I know him as well as one can through his letters and history, he never forgot what kind of a monster he had been before he was in Christ. You remember, he was the arrogant, and I use that word with all its meaning, the arrogant Pharisee who came from a family of Pharisees. So of course these two did too. This was a family of Pharisee. They were, what should I say extreme in their Jewish faith. And as Pharisees, they were rigid in their observance and despised everybody who was different to them. You remember Paul. He was not around in the Gospels. He was back there in Cilicia. And and so... He only comes on the scene. He returns to Jerusalem after the Gospels are all over, but he comes back as a person of tremendous authority among the Pharisees. He was a leader uh, of, of the temple crowd, and so he gets it firsthand from Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest who crucified Jesus. He gets it firsthand this Jesus and so the resurrection and how they'd covered up and how they're filling Jerusalem with their doctrine and remember Saul of Tarsus as he was then known he believes it's his God-given destiny to erase the name of Jesus from the face of the earth And so he goes, and the scripture, we're not going to go there in detail, but there in chapter 9 of the Acts of the Apostles, he goes from house to house in Jerusalem, dragging out the Christians and demanding they curse the name of Jesus. And in the synagogues, he would tie them up by their hands and have them flogged. With that terrible whip, with pieces of bone and steel that tore the backs of the people. And and you curse the name of Jesus. He he ravaged the whole church in Jerusalem and Judea. He's a a maniac. He's a man obsessed to be rid of the name of Jesus that he saw as the greatest threat to his faith and then he gets letters from the high priest to go on not only within Israel but on beyond into Syria and beyond to eradicate the name of Jesus. The Greek words that are used in that account to describe what he did are the same words that would be used of a she-bear robbed of her cubs. And you don't want to be around such a murderous beast. If If that was Saul of Tarsus, dealing with total strangers because they named Jesus Christ as Lord. What do you think he would do to those of his own family who were in Christ and confessed that Jesus was Lord? I I really can't answer that. It's one thing to go with fury to a stranger and say that you are putting under your feet the whole of what we believe and therefore you you must curse the name of Jesus that's one thing but when it's your own near family maybe your cousin who is naming the name of Jesus your rage would know no end because you are bringing this shame upon a family. Yeah, he would be mortified that one of his own family, two of his own family, have named the name of Jesus. I, I don't know what's behind those words, but when Paul wrote them, they were in Christ before Me, I I, I wonder if tears rose in his eyes, if if there was pain in his heart, because he remembers the emotional, the mental torment that he gave to family members. The rejection when this couple... Became believers. They came into Christ. They came in with a nest of devilish bees around them. That they had persecution from day one. The rage of their cousin Saul of Tarsus. But they were in Christ before me. I'm not pushing it to say that I think we've found the people who prayed Saul of Tarsus into the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered, Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus, and suddenly the light from heaven, and he's on his face, and there comes the voice? from the living Jesus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Just a minute. <laughs> why? I mean, nobody stopped him on the road with a tract, did they? No, Nobody was talking to him the gospel. He'd probably heard what they were saying from those he persecuted. But, you see... No one just comes to Jesus out of nowhere. You realize every person that is in Christ has been birthed into Christ, into the family of the Father, because someone prayed and because someone spoke. You do understand that. The whole work of God on earth is done through you and I set it up that way before he ascended he said to those his disciples at the time you now go you go into all the world and preach the gospel or again he said all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth you might think after that he would say that and I'm now going to go and tell the world who I am but he didn't he went into the invisible half of the universe and his last words were, I have all authority in heaven and earth. therefore you go and teach all the nations. Every one of us came to Jesus because someone prayed. Someone spoke the prayer filled words that were light to our inner eyes. I think, I say, I found the people who were praying for this man, Saul. I'm sure the church at large was praying for him, but, you know, when when this person that you're praying for is your arch-persecutor, when he's the man with the whip, when he's the man who brings you in a pool of your own blood to your knees... It's, it's, yeah, you pray for him. But when you're his cousin, I, I think they could embrace him in prayer as nobody else, even though they knew they were praying the impossible. I, I mean, if, if your cousin, what was the persecutor of believers, if, if your cousin was the one that had hauled people out of their houses into jail for beatings and almost impossible but they were close enough to embrace this man in prayer and I say outside of their prayers which were inspired by the Holy Spirit maybe well maybe we'll leave it at that they were in Christ before me. They came into Christ in a tsunami of hatred and persecution from their own cousin. But now, he says, "Oh, things have changed. Now, he says, they're not only my kinsmen, they're my fellow prisoners. We've been to jail together for the sake of Christ and they who this couple they are of note among the apostles so they're sitting in the congregation in Rome but already they they have been of note among the apostles apostle that basically means a sent one there's a lot of confusion around this word, apostle, and I'm certainly not going to get into it. It would take far too long. But we come across chaps today who call themselves apostles and um, just trot around churches that they say they have oversight over and collect money. Um No, an apostle from the very beginning was one sent forth by the church into areas where the gospel was not known and there they would preach and they would heal the sick and cast out demons and and there they would establish the first believers and, and they would be the father of churches And we know, indeed, that that's exactly what this couple did. I said we know about Andronicus and Julia outside of the New Testament. This is the only time they're mentioned in the New Testament. But outside the New Testament, in the early, 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 early history of the church, we know about this couple. They went. In fact, there were 70 persons sent out. Sent out from... Um, Israel, and and sent out to the uttermost boundaries of the Roman Empire. Uh, And for me, it's kind of neat, because we know that Andronicus and Julia went to England. In fact, they went far north in England, right up to the edge of Scotland, preaching the gospel, and they stood against the the witch doctors and the evil ancient people of Britain. Um, they went all over Northern Europe. Uh, they they were certainly we know in Hungary and, and and they were in what today we call Austria and and Slovakia. Yeah, that they they were always on the move. And I say there were seventy sent all over the place. And this couple went the north, but also then they went far south down into Africa, into the Sahara Desert. Uh, you cannot imagine what they had to put up with in days long before what we would call civilization had come anywhere near those places. They, they were apostles. I mean, that's an apostle. You go not to a church to collect the offering to, to say, Oh, great apostle, we give you an... No, no, no. An apostle was sent out of the church. Very few apostles died a natural death. To be an apostle meant you, one of these days, would be a martyr for your faith. That's where you were going. That's what you expected. And so Andronicus and Julia, they were beheaded for preaching the gospel. Ultimately, somewhere around A.D. ninety, um, they were getting on in age, but they established. This is this is a couple we're talking about. See, how can I put this? Apostle is a ministry gift. That's what we might call it. But a ministry gift is Jesus making himself known in and through us in a certain fashion. As he did, sent, he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And he was, what I've just said, in and through Andronicus and Julia. But the scripture portrays this we all please, I'm not what can I say of course I am, but uh, I was going to say I'm not just preaching, but you know you know the sort of preach I mean i you've all got a ministry well i i'm I'm talking to you, I'm not preaching at you, you do every one of us, Christ in us, is going to make himself manifest in a certain fashion and certain ministry is made known through us. And of course our trouble today is we think only apostles have ministry, only teachers and pastors and evangelists and so on. Um, We we live under both the great blessing and terrible curse of technology. And, And so when we think of ministry... We think of the the fellows and gals who walk across our TV screen on Christian television and and people who have a a great big business of a ministry, and and that's ministry. And and when we think of pastor, we, we think of the mega church and, you know... Please, would you forget that? Please, please. I'm not talking about what television has turned this circus into. I'm talking about the fact that you, in the world that you call your world, Christ lives in you, and Christ would desire in you and through you, and He would be your enabler to be the revelation of Him, where you are. See, you see what I mean? It, we didn't know who these people were. Why? Didn't they have a TV show? I mean, didn't they write a thousand books? No, you see, that was before TV, before radio, before you wrote books and published them. No, your world was where you lived, and in that world is where you ministered Christ. And you didn't have to be full-time, as we use the term full-time today. You went to your work, you were the father, you were the wife, you were the child... You were the neighbor, you were the school teacher, you were the factory worker, you were the dockside worker, you, you worked in the Roman government. Whatever was your life, but there, Christ was your life. Romans 12, he speaks of this ministry aspect. Romans in chapter 12, and, and, and he says, as I've already mentioned, um, in verse 4 he says, as we have many members in our body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. That is, we all depend on one another because the way I reflect and manifest Christ is not the way you do. And I depend on you fulfilling whatever he is and would show himself to be in you, I depend on that as you in some way depend on me. We depend upon each other as, as my right hand depends on my left hand and my right foot on my left foot. And, and the whole body depends on the whole body. And, and he says you, you, you don't have the same function as others. So stop all of this nonsense of envying a person, probably that you saw on TV, that he must have a great ministry because he was on TV. And and I want what he's got. As I have lectured to students in Bible schools, it's pained me when I say to them, how do you see your future? How do you see the Lord using you? And, And without... Sometimes the whole jolly class—they—they're they're all going to have mega churches. They're going to influence the world. Come on. What, what? What? What about? What about going to a little town and just ministering to the people there? What? 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 Because we—it's numbers, it's it's fame. That's the big word of the twenty-first century. Fame, I be fame. Everybody will know my name. Everybody, and I bless them. Yeah, right. No, you see, maybe nobody knows your name. Your name is known in the heart of God, and your ministry is quietly changing the lives of those around you. It says, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given us. I have the grace of teaching. I don't have the grace of pastoring. It's no use. You can't force it. I don't have it. I envy, if I wanted to, the guys who do. But I've gotten over that long, long ago. You don't envy somebody else's grace. It's grace. So, So he says, let's use the grace. He said, I can keep going, and it goes down to he who exhorts, an exhortation, which means if you have that grace given just to come and be the wind beneath someone's wings, do it, he says. He who gives. You realize, see, that there's a good example, because I do this. You receive this program free of charge, because persons totally unknown to you never mentioned on television or but they give every month they give so you can hear this and so the body works I do the talking they do the giving and the paying and you receive the strength to go and do you see what I'm saying it's a grace that is given and part of that is he said he who gives give with liberality generosity generosity he who shows mercy, which is, that's basically sick visiting. That's, that's going to the hospital. That's going to the sick and the poor and the orphan. He says, do it with cheerfulness. Walk into the room and let the light of Christ shine through. You get the picture. It's, it's your, your, the totality. Some are apostles. Some show mercy. But we are... And it's the ones you don't know their names. It's the ones who are never known really beyond their most close intimate circle. Sometimes they're the most important. I mean, the most important part of my body, I hope you never see it. You, you only see this, but what makes this work? It's inside here, and I hope it stays inside, and I hope you never see it. You see what I say? I, personally, am upheld by persons who gave themselves to pray for us day by day by day. My earliest ministry was totally upheld by my mother, who spent hours praying for me wherever I was in the world. And you see, nobody knows her name. She was a very shy person, hardly known in our local congregation back there in London. But I wouldn't be who I am or where I am but for her prayers. Well, I, I, think, I think I've said that. You say, what is my ministry? Um, don't get hung up on that. Somebody back there, what was it, in the 1970s, 80s, everybody had to know their ministry. And so they came to me and they said, what's your ministry? I said, I haven't got a clue. I'm too busy doing what I want to do. Because that's what ministry is. The first thing of ministry is he puts a desire in you. Or you see a need, you see a problem. And when you go to fill that, He enables you to do it, and you love doing it because you don't have to, you want to, because He has joined His wants to you. He's made you see what no one else sees. It's the way it is. That's why Jesus said, My burden is easy, it's light. You don't have to. What's the word that people love it? You've got to pay the price. You've got to go into ministry. Oh, forget it. Christ is in you, and he's dancing his life in you, and he puts his desires in you, and you want to. I say, they, this couple, their life was known to God, not to a TV camera. And he says, they were of note among the apostles. They, they were not simply apostles, they were of note. And, and that word, it, its, it's it, it means to excel. It means notable. They stand out. Uh, stand out in their field, in what they were called in what they saw, what they desired, Christ in them, that they radiated his life. Out of them flowed rivers of life, both in behavior and speech and the ability to implement the gospel. You see, it would do good if all of us, just for the next week, Just spend your days allowing the Holy Spirit to make this real to you. Jesus Christ is in you, and you are in Him through the Holy Spirit. That is fact. Then where is the limit? If Jesus Christ is in me, where is the limit? The limit's here where I put the limit Christ is in us and the beginning of every day just let the river flow let it flow where it will be aware of that inner holy nudge in all of life to, well, excel when it, when it says they were of note, it doesn't mean God loved them more than others. doesn't mean that He favored them more than others. It means rather they yielded to His grace or His gifting. They, they yielded to. They let the river flow. Maybe that's some of the most important words I've said tonight. Let. Let the river flow. If I say let the river flow I am assuming the river is within me. Let him flow. See, it's not difficult to walk in the Spirit. It's not difficult to grow in the grace that is given to you. Let the grace be. Let the river flow. Let Christ be your life. I wish I could say more about that but I think I'll leave it at that. Could, could I put it in the negative that today we live in the curse of the mediocre? You know People are satisfied with so little. When I went to school, you really had to work to to get your grades. Because they didn't have... What's that thing they have here in the States? They call it the curve. So, you know, you don't have to really work hard because you're going to be judged by the average fellow in the class. Well, supposing what is in you is far above average. You're you're, you're, you're in an atmosphere of the mediocre. And we, we've got that hideous and I will say damnable because it's satanic where where it says, you know, you, the other chap doesn't work and you work, but now he gets the results of your labor because we've got to be fair. We've all got to be the same. I will never forget when I was in Russia and my interpreter was a young chap and had been raised, of course, in communist schools and communist Russia and and I I was sharing with him because I was going to do in Moscow um, the search for self-worth some of you know what you've been to that seminar or had it on CD Um, and I was going to do that well I did it in Moscow and he was my interpreter so I took the whole afternoon to go through it with him to make sure he understood what I was saying so he could interpret it And he began to be more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. He said, I I don't know what they will do about this. Who, Who were they? It was the KGB, the Secret Service, that watched every person that happens in communism. He said, when I went to school, he said, if I excelled, he used this word, if I excelled in my studies, I was beaten by the principal for trying to be better than others. He said, if I wore a colored shirt, I was beaten by the principal, trying to be different. He said, we all had to wear grey and nobody could get more ahead than another. We all had to be the same. That's the filth of Communism. You are made an individual, unique, and Christ in you is showing one facet of his uniqueness. Not that you be like everybody else. Not just mediocre. You see, This is the the atmosphere. This is the foul gas air that we live in, this level plane. And it gets into you until you're quite satisfied to be the same as everybody else in the congregation. Passing grade, that's... Don't want to be proud. Come on, you're talking like a communist. You, You don't want to excel No. That's we say that's for somebody else. Not me. I I'm, I'm just like everybody a second grade person. Uh, no you're not. You are unique, fresh from the hand of God to be the unique person with unique giftings to share. And as I say, all the way from visiting the sick, to smiling, to giving, to ministering to the poor, whatever. I'm not talking about known to the world. I'm talking about sitting in the congregation in Rome and being of note among the apostles. Excellence. And what is excellence, Paul? What do you mean by that? In this same book, in an earlier chapter, Paul himself said, this is it. He said, I will only tell you of what Christ has wrought through me. He said, I'm not portraying myself as having all this and swagger my way because I'm important, but rather just what Jesus has been and is in me and through me. And whatever challenge is in this road that opens up before me and my gifting, he said in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength, who strengthens me. Talking of some of the very things that this couple had to be involved in as they went on their scent, their apostolic sendings. Well, I think that's that's it. As I said, all I want to do is to introduce you to the couple. They are among some of the unknowns of Scripture, yet they're among the greatest of Scripture. And and it was just heavy upon me. Not one thing, just everything I've said tonight. And it all came together in this couple, and so that's where I landed. And I trust the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see the grace that is given to you, is, is, is given, to see your place, whatever that is, in the body of Christ, and to go with that flow of His grace. Let the river flow, and be who you are in Christ Jesus. And now the blessing, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing continue to be in you and with you and through you. That wherever you go in this incoming week, you shall be to all persons the very presence of Jesus. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.